Okay. You guys can go ahead and be seated. Our church is four years old today. That's amazing. It's incredible. It, we're celebrating four years together, but I want to tell you a very transformational moment in the way that our church would, was operate, would operate actually happened in February of 2009. And those of you guys who aren't so fast with math, someone can explain it to you later that there's actually more than four years between now and 2009. But it was this crucial moment that really shifted my perspective to a healthier view. I became a Christian in 1999. And I didn't grow up in the church, and so that moment, like, I thought I was just dealing with heaven and hell between God, and I wouldn't have to worry about hell anymore, and I'd just go on living my life, and I had no clue that at that moment where I allowed God's forgiveness to enter my life, that, like, he was going to change so many things in my heart, in my mind, and, and who I'd become. I had no clue that change would happen, but I knew that it was incredible, and I wanted to share it with people. I went to Bible college. I became a pastor. I was in full-time ministry for five years before we get to 2009. And it was this moment where I brought my family down from Ohio to Naples, Florida, where I'm from. And I was just showing my wife around. We were visiting my grandfather whose health wasn't doing great. And as I was showing her, you know, back in the 80s, I'd ride my Huffy bicycle to school by myself with no adult supervision. It seems criminal these days. Um, but this is the path I would take, and here's the parking lot that I would ride through, and I'd try to make these people angry by riding too close to their cars, and it would usually work. And, and as I was just re rehearsing these things to her, like the, it was this moment that changed my view of church leadership. Because I recognized that the parking lot that I just thought of as, was a parking lot wasn't just a parking lot, it was a church. I recognized that it wasn't just a church, it was the denomination that I worked with. And I thought back to how one and a half blocks from where I grew up not knowing Christ sat the gospel in the denomination that I loved and held dearly. And it's not like this isn't their fault. This, it made me ask a question as a pastor in full-time ministry up in Ohio, what do the neighborhoods around our church, because we had a permanent facility there and I was a youth pastor, what do the neighborhoods around our church say about us? Are there families, are there children that right now their parents' marriage is breaking apart and they've had absolutely zero touch from us? Zero encouragement, zero help. Are there people going through depression and anxiety and struggle all around where we gather for church and have we done nothing to interrupt their lives with the gospel that can change everything for them? And it made me ask this question because it just put the reality that we are the church in this city and we have to be moving towards people. And it shifted my view. And I'll tell you, that moment in February of 2009, it changed the way that I, I would expect us to operate as a church. And today is a sermon that if you've been with us for four years, you could come and take the mic and you could probably give it to us because you've heard it before. Because this is a message that I want to be foundational to who we are. It's a passage that I want any one of us to be able to reproduce. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That is Jesus' intention in his life. 
And if that is his purpose statement, if that's his mission, then that's what we've got to be about. But we're going to look at the whole passage today, and I believe there's going to be some things that stand out to you about it, and it's going to encourage you. But today, on our fourth anniversary, it's really just to be, meant to be a reminder. This is who we're going to be. This, this is the attitude that we're going to carry. This is what we're going to care about. You know, I, I think it's great that we're going to start to build a building, but Lord help you if you try to argue about something stupid like carpet color. We are going to stay on mission. Like our building, anything that God entrusts to us, it's going to be for this Luke 19.10 purpose that we are trying to impact our city with the gospel because we know that it changes lives, it changes eternities, it changes families. It has the power to save. And that's where our focus is going to be. If you have your Bible with you, you can open up to the gospel of Luke chapter 19. We'll of course project the words on the screen and I'm going to start at verse one in chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. We're going to stop there and we're going to just talk a little bit about investigating faith. Like there's this moment of investigation that happens in so many people's life and faith story where there's something, it could be a life event or it could just be, I've been going through the monotony of everything and I feel like I need to just get a peek at what faith in God looks like. There's this moment where people start to investigate and it's a critically important moment because it's a decision-making moment. And there was something that happened in Zacchaeus that made him just say, I want to catch a glimpse of Jesus. And this is interesting because Zacchaeus, he, he was considered to be like a notorious sinner. Like he was hated. He was, he was a tax collector for the Roman government. And at this time, to, to work for the government that had control of your nation, that was occupying you, it was seen as being a traitor. A traitor to your people and a traitor to God. Because they, they looked at it and said, God could not possibly want this for us. And so Zacchaeus was someone who not only worked for that foreign occupying government, but he took money from his countrymen and gave it to them to help them better occupy them. He was hated and the tax collectors were known for adding a couple percentage points to line their own pockets as well, which is why it's noted in the passage that he was not just a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. And he was not just a tax collector, he had become wealthy by doing it. He was good at stealing from his people and his house and his lifestyle reflected that. And one of the only things that I think can really add to making someone just be incredibly annoying to you other than reaching into your pocket and taking what they want is the fact that he was a short little man. It's like, man, I could punt you and here you are taking more than you should from me. He was not well liked and it's noted that as people saw Jesus spending time with him, they began to murmur to each other about it. 
But there was something in, the, in this hated man's heart and mind that said, I need to just catch a glimpse of Jesus. And to do so took him taking a couple extra steps that other people didn't have to take. There was obstacles that he had that other people didn't have. He got to the crowd and the crowd was in his way of seeing Jesus. I think that still happens today that when people look at a crowd, they say, you know what, I don't, I don't know if God is really involved in that because all I see is the people and they don't look much like God. And I think that happens in our church world today. But Zacchaeus, he wasn't settled with just seeing the back of the crowd. He looked and he saw an opportunity and he decided to climb a tree. That's a weird, first of all, running to catch up with the scene, then climbing the tree while you're wearing the type of clothing that they had. If you're wearing a, a nice big flowing robe, it's not really the right thing to climb trees where there's people under you. Just saying that, that there's an awkward component to that. But there is a willingness like, I'll do what I have to do to just catch a glimpse of this Jesus guy. And this effort that you put out, that someone puts out to say, I want to get, get a picture of God. I want to see what he's like. I want to know more about him. God always honors that when he sees in people. And for Zacchaeus, it was climbing a tree. For so many people, and we've seen this, this story play out a couple, not a couple, many different times in the four years of our church. Um, I, I'll use single parents as an example. There's so many people that through their life circumstances, they end up raising a kid on their own. And there's a feeling of, I don't belong at church because I don't have a spouse. And so I can just never go back. And I, I remember there, there's one particular face that comes to mind in the story. The first time that she came to church, I looked at her, man, she looked so nervous. I wanted to go get her like a puke bag. Like I'm, I'm concerned. I can't clean that up off the floor. So just take this with you in case, because you look pale and like upset. Because and she later told us, she said, she was just so nervous to come to church. And as she came through and she got her kid checked in to service and she sat in service, afterwards she went home and she wrote this long Facebook post of how she was so nervous to come into church for the first time. But as she came in, so many people were just kind and loving and bringing her in, sitting with her, taking care of her kid, that it just, it, it, it surprised her. And I want to tell you that when, when you're entering church for the first time in a long time, I recognize like it can, it can be tough. There's, there's obstacles that other people don't have that you're walking through. And I just want to say like, I, I see that. If you got the kids ready by yourself today and got to church by yourself with them, I recognize the extra work that you're putting in. But more than the fact that I recognize it, God always looks and says, when you're seeking after me, you will always find me because God has already been looking for you. And when you have to work harder than other people just to get to that point where you, you can hear from God's word, where you can be gathered with Christians, I want to tell you, God is going to honor that walk of obedience in your life and you're going to see his hand of provision show up because of the extra work that you're putting in. He doesn't miss that. And no matter what has been in your past, I hope you know that here at Gulfside, you can have family. You can be part of what's happening. If God is going to bring you back into his family, who would we be to try to push you away? If God is going to speak to someone like Zacchaeus, who had been cheating his people for years and building wealth out of it, Jesus didn't just bump into him. Jesus was looking for him. He went and found him at the tree and and. Zacchaeus was just investigating. He's just like, I just want to get a peek of Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, I'm interrupting your day. 
Like you were looking, you thought you would just get a peek, but like, here we go. I'm coming to your house. I have to come to your house today. Which in this time and culture, it was like, we're, we're like family now. If we're eating meals together, that means our lives are going to be connected. And that caused the righteous to start muttering, to start complaining. Who does, does Jesus know who he's spending time with? I mean, other times in the Gospels, this happened as well, when people would become, they'd come and cry at his feet. And, and they'd say things like, if he knew the type of person who was touching him, if he knew whose house he was going into, which is interesting because it's the righteous beginning to question, is Jesus really who he says he is if he's going to love people like that? Like the compassion of Christ, the compassion to bring in anyone, no matter what they have been trapped in with sin, no matter how they've been living, the compassion that he puts out into the world makes some religious people question whether or not he's the Messiah. And so what has to happen is that the religious people have to get their heart in line with where God's heart is. Because Jesus' heart is to seek and save the lost. And so if there's ever a moment that, that those of us who call Gulfside Church home, there's, if there's ever a moment where someone walks into this place, walks into a gathering of worship, and there's something in our heart that goes off and says, I don't know if they belong here. I want to encourage you, bring your heart into line with where God's heart is because God wants them home. If there's ever a time where you say, I know that, you know, I, I know that their, what their past sin looks like. I know what their history is. I know that they have wind chimes on their porch. I know that they park in their grass. I know that they park a company vehicle in the driveway and you're not supposed to do that in Cape Coral. And it really bothers me. And so I don't think they belong in my church. If you ever have anything like that welling up in you, get your heart right. Because more important than how great our neighborhood looks always has to be that our God is lifted up in their eyes and in their heart. And we don't want to be part of the crowd that keeps someone from Christ. We don't want to be part of the crowd that mutters when Jesus' love starts to touch someone's life who's been far away from him. Because if we've experienced something from him that transformed our life, then it only makes sense for us to share that with others. And when we see someone who begins to investigate and we know, okay, they've been far off, but they're here and they're checking things out. The thing that I've seen time and time again is that, you know, Jesus does this thing where he says, I'm going to like interrupt their plans. Like they thought they're going to check in and check out, but I have something more for them. I have something better for them. It says in verse five, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly and the people began to mutter and then something began stirring up in Zacchaeus' heart as he spent time with Jesus and the order of this is very noteworthy. And I say it's noteworthy for the Christian, it's also noteworthy for the, first per for the person who's kind of checking out the things of God because there's this sentiment of I need to go and get my life right and then come back to church and that is never how it actually works. Many people try to make it work that way but it doesn't work. It will break. It will fall apart because you broke you. You can't fix you. You're not going to do it on your own. That's not how you get things moving in the right direction. What always happens is as you spend time with God, as you get closer with him, as you understand the teachings of his word, he's going to begin to move in your heart and the external things of the behaviors, the speech, the attitude, the actions, those will then come in line with your heart. Your heart and your actions will eventually line up. And so maybe you've been raised up in the church and so your actions look a lot like a church person. But if your heart isn't in it, eventually it's going to sink up. 
And even though maybe you feel like you've lived a good life, I'm going to tell you, if your heart, if you feel your heart getting farther and farther away from God, that destructive moment is not far off because it always starts with the heart. And no matter how much you'd like to clean up the external of your life and the actions before you come back to church and, and get connected to God, the first thing you need to do is just get your heart right with him because he's going to begin to change those external things in time. And as Zacchaeus is spending this time with Jesus, there's something that just stirs up in his heart and it moves out into action obedience, which is what true faith always does. True faith, it starts internal in the heart and it always moves to action and behavior. It always moves to repentance, which repentance is not just lip service. Repentance actually means to turn and change directions. So when God gets a hold of our heart, something like this with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus says, if, I, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, if I've stolen anything from them, I'm giving back four times what I took and I'm gonna take half of everything that I have and I'm gonna give that to the poor. Because his, his place of weakness, his place of greed, he was ready to just give that over to God. And Jesus looked and said, salvation has come to this house today. All Zacchaeus wanted to do was see the parade, right? He just wanted a glimpse, like, just let me look at him in the tree. I'll climb back. I'll go back to my life. It started with this investigation, and then Jesus just interrupted what was going on. And then it was just a, this complete life change. It, it befuddled the, the religious folks. You just called him a son of Abraham? Like, that, that's, that's what we deserve to be called. Other times Jesus called the, the Pharisees a brood of vipers. <laughs> because it's not about the external. It's not the way that people look at you. It's not about if you have the right clothes. It's not about if you've been doing the right actions. It's about where is your heart. And I, I think that God gives all of us this moment of interruption, just the way that he gave me at the beginning of my faith of saying, there is an eternity that you're heading towards. And the way that you live this life, it will matter forever. And there's a decision that you will make when you get that recognition of, am I going to honor God? Am I going to receive forgiveness? Or am I going to continue to head on this path that leads to the destruction of this life that I've been living? And there's a decision you make. And, and it's critical because as Jesus says, I have come to seek and save the lost. That, that is like the, the short and the sweet of it. Like that, that, that's the that's the you know, 10 second sound bite. But you have to understand this whole interaction with Zacchaeus was really a setup for a teaching moment that he then began in verse 11. And, and there's, there's so much great theology and important things to talk about in verses one through 10. And like I said, I could, I could just live and breathe in that 1910 moment for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. But look how Jesus connects it to a parable that he wants to give everyone in verse 11. So all this is happening Zacchaeus just says, you know, I'm going I'm to provide restoration. I'm going to provide generosity. In verse 11, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once, he said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas and said, put this money to work, he said until I come back. And, and I'm going to summarize the, the passage just for, for time's sake. And so he, he grabs three servants, three servants that we really get the recording of, though it says there's 10 of them in there. And the first servant, when the king comes back, 
to say, give me account of what you did with this about three months wages that I gave to you to invest while I was gone. The first one comes back and he said, I took your one and I turned it into 10. And the king says, well done. I'm going to entrust to you 10 cities to rule over. And he calls the next servant up and he says, I took your one and I, I, and I turned it into five. And the king said, well done. I'm going to put you over five cities. And then he called the next one up. And the one said, you gave me one, and I wrapped it in cloth, and I hid it away, and I knew that you're a hard man, didn't want to disappoint you, and so I'm just giving you back what is yours. And the king said, you wicked and lazy servant. What you even have now is going to be taken from you and given to the one that has the most. And I want to make sure that you see the connection. That God's heart, his heart is to reach out to the lost. His heart is that it actually uses the term seek, that he seeks after them. He's looking for where they are and moving towards them. But he is like a king who has entrusted a great treasure to his servants. And he's going away and there will be a day of accountability that says, what did you do with what I gave you? The hope and the love of the gospel. The truth about eternity. What did you do with it? And there will be this calling of accounts that happens. And the person who comes back with only what they are given, it shows they've never walked in obedience. They didn't even do the easiest and the safest thing of just putting it into the bank and and gaining interest. They did nothing with what God gave them. And I want to tell you this truth because I get, man, when it comes to making a difference in our city, when it comes to talking about our faith, praying for someone, serving someone, there's this feeling of inadequacy of what if I mess it up? What if it doesn't go well? What if it gets awkward? What if I fall on my face while I'm trying to do this? God would rather see you fail in obedience than just stay stagnant in disobedience. And Failing to move, failing to act is disobedience because we've been called to go. We've been called to act. We've been called to make a difference. We've been called to be generous. We've been called to show love. Time after time, we are told to add action to our faith and that should produce a harvest. I want to tell you one of the worst investments that I've ever made as the pastor of this church was our Gulfside Church launching September 17th at Island Coast High School signs. Or this mailer that landed in, I can't remember if it was 10 or 30,000 homes. I think it was, th- was 30,000 because, um, because it was expensive. But all of the church planning coaches and all the things say, when you're going to plan a church, this is what you have to do. You have to do these things. But they don't tell you when a hurricane will hit and close everything down and make this just debris flying around in Hurricane Irma. This did not help us at all. It was a terrible investment. But I would rather do the things that we are supposed to do And fall flat on my face knowing that I have tried everything to honor God with the way that I'm living my life. Then play it safe and say, well, what if a hurricane comes? What if it goes bad? What if they they don't want my help? What if I pray and I don't know what to say? Like all of the what ifs, the thing that we know is that there will be accountability. The thing that we know is that today we have been given opportunity. 
And I guarantee you that this week, you will have the opportunity to interact with someone who is on your last nerve. You will have the blessing of dealing with difficult people this week. And you will have the opportunity to choose to give back to them the annoying tone and the anger that they give to you, or you will choose to to plant into them the love and the grace that only comes from God. Compassion that they do not deserve. Mercy that they have not earned because you have been given compassion that you did not earn and mercy that you do not deserve. You will have the opportunity to serve. You will have the opportunity to be generous. And I'm telling you that you have these opportunities that are coming because these are investment opportunities that will matter in the kingdom of God one day. Your interactions with your neighbor, your interactions with your family, your interactions with your coworkers, with the people at school, they matter. And God sees these as investments. And so my, my question for you, what are you investing yourself in? Is it going to bring a return in the kingdom of God that you're going to be proud of one day? And it, and it doesn't always look the way that you think it would. Man, I'm going to begin to close this thing out. Uh, can you put the picture up? This is really what the launch of our church looked like. We hoped it would look like something like this, like service, like amazing music and worship and people who come who, who've never been here before. But this is really what the launch of our church looked like. When we thought we were going to be having services in AC, we were without electricity and some of us without running water. And we were out with chainsaws trying to help people get back into their houses. It would have been very comfortable to be like, well, we came here to plant a church, not to cut down trees. Um, God, (laughs) we printed these things up for you. And we talked about the date of this launch over two years before it happened. You should have God had the foresight to not let a hurricane interrupt what we were trying to do here because it's all for you. (laughs) And I I feel like one of the things that I learned through the experience as well, I put this church, I put Gulfside here for the city. I didn't put the city here for the church. And I put you here in the middle of a hurricane because there's people who are going to need to know that my hands and my feet are active in the middle of the storm. And things are going to start slower And things are going to start differently than what you expected. But what you do that that wasn't how you anticipated it it will be, it will matter forever. As people talk about Hurricane Irma, many of them in this area will talk about how a team of teal shirts just came and like cleared all the debris that was on their house. Think about families that, you know, that, one family in our church that had eight inches of water in their house. And we came and we helped clear out what we could. We helped financially get them back on their feet. I think of the single families that this church has helped. There's so many ways that we've seen God's healing, God's work, God's hand through the life of this church. But every miracle and every moment that God did something significant It wasn't because of the preaching. It it was because someone like you looked at someone next to them and said, God has positioned me to where I I can be of help. I can pray with you. I can come serve with you. I, I can spend time with you. I can counsel with you. I can tell you about my experience. I can just sit and listen 
Each of these miracles and each of these moments were because of the steps of obedience that we took. And the growth of our church, it's, it's because of that. It's because we've loved our neighbors. It's because we've served other people. And <clears throat> I want you to see this fourth year. I, I, I know that there are incredible things ahead for Gulfside Church. But I want you to see this next year. I want you to know this is what I'm investing in. And I'm not talking about financially investing in the church. That's not what I'm saying. Your time, your energy. What are you investing in that one day when you stand before God, look at you and say, okay, I gave you the gift of the gospel. And you say, and it multiplied. As I walked in obedience, I never expected it. I thought I'd fumble the words, but, but what you gave me multiplied. And it changed these other lives. And I, I couldn't believe it when it happened, but it happened because you're always true to your word. And God's heartbeat is seeking after others. God's hands to do it is you. So I hope that in your mind, you think about that day with excitement, knowing that you started taking the steps seeing the gospel move from your hands into the lives of many others because that's the heartbeat of God. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, we are thankful that you loved us enough that even though we have made mistake after mistake and given you reason after reason to leave us behind, you have sought after us. And so we just in response to that same mercy that you've given us just flows into the lives of other people. And when we hit those difficult moments this week, just remind us of your unending grace. And we ask for your blessing and your guidance through this year number four of Gulfside Church. We ask for even, even more miracles, even more moments, even more decisions where people recognize that there is a God who loves them. And there is forgiveness for sins that is found through Jesus. We just ask for more of that because we want this same incredible love that we found to be shared throughout our city. And we're thankful for these opportunities to invest our life that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. As you're able, will you stand with us as we sing?